What's going on, everybody? My name is Jordan. Uh, I am one of the pastors uh, here at Renaissance. Extremely grateful to be with you all in this ridiculously air-conditioned room. Um, it feels pretty good. Hey, first and foremost, uh, I am like really proud in a godly way that we are able to support uh, people like Adrienne and the amazing work that she's doing. And the reason we're able to support her is because of your generosity. And one of my hopes and heart as a, as a pastor here at Renaissance is that uh, we would be significantly more concerned than just what exists in the four walls of this church for a Sunday service. And I'm grateful and honored that we get a chance to do that. So thank you for that. Um, Renaissance is like a really diverse church. And we're not just diverse ethnically. So we have people from all different walks of life, people from all different cultures. Some people who grew up uh, Pentecostal and some people who grew up Presbyterian. Some people who grew up not going to church, or atheist, or agnostic, or Muslim, or Buddhist, uh, people from every single walk of life. One of the craziest pieces of diversity, or probably the, the most uh, shocking and, and difficult to balance uh, piece of diversity we have at Renaissance, uh, some people at Renaissance think that this shirt is a pajama top. <laughs> others, others, who will be on the, on the right side of history, know that this is high fashion. And uh, first they laugh at you and then they copy. So when you get your, your silk, just tag me on Instagram. But the beauty of diversity is also a challenge because a lot of times, whenever you have a lot of people from a lot of different walks of life, like it's difficult to come up with examples as a communicator that would resonate with people across every single uh, different type of life experience. But today is not one of those challenges. Because today we're talking about something that every single person in this room, regardless of how you grew up or where you grew up, you all have said something. And as soon as you said it, maybe not as soon as you said it, but after you said it, you wish you could have those words back. I remember one time having a conversation, and it was almost like my words I can see them leaving my mouth. My brain kept on saying, just stop, 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 stop. And as soon as they left my words, I wish I can get a lasso and bring them back in, but I couldn't. Because I knew that my words were damaging. I saw the negative effect of my words right then and there. Now, one of the biggest truths that you'll see all throughout scripture comes from Proverbs, and it says this beautiful truth. It says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Death and life are in the power of our tongue, the power of our words. Our words are incredibly powerful. Now, our words are not just powerful to destroy things. Our words are also powerful to create things. Things that had not existed before can be created through our words. When we're first introduced to the character and the person of God in Scripture, we are told that God is by his very nature one who communicates, who speaks. And when God's words go out into the void, something is created. Now, make no mistake about it, we are not God, and we are nowhere near as all-powerful as God is. God can speak into the void of nothing and create something merely by his words, but we are made in the image of God which means that the words that we speak, they create things as well. It is not just death that our words can create. They can also create life. 
when I was in college in Baltimore, um, when I first became a Christian and started following Jesus, the church that I would go to, uh, my pastor really believed in the power of prayer. So much so that services, you never knew what service was going to look like or how long it was going to go. Because at any moment, he would just stop and we would have a prayer service. And I'll never forget one day where they were worshiping and sounding amazing. And he said, I want to pray for anybody who feels like God might be calling you to preach his word. And I sat there and I was thinking to myself, I had all of these thoughts in my brain. And I was like, is it prideful to to like stand up and say that God is calling me to preach? Like who's told me this? Like who has like authorized me to stand up and just be so presumptive? And as I was having this conversation in my head, they moved on with service, and I never got up. Now, I wouldn't test God in the same way anymore, but back then I said, God, if this is really you for my life, if you really want this for my life, ask him to call me up again, or ask him to open up another invitation for, for prayer. He didn't. Not immediately, at least. They went on with the service, and about 20 minutes went on, and he gets back up, and he said, There's one more person who didn't stand up that was supposed to stand up. As soon as he said that, I jumped out of my seat. (laughs) I wasn't going to test God again. And I went up to the altar for prayer. And in the last 20 years, I can't think of a moment that has more defined me, shaped me, created in me something that had not existed before that moment and sustained me for the last 20 years than the words that he spoke into my life that day. Those words created a vision for my life and how God might use my life in whatever small and meaningful ways that God was choosing to use my life. His words, his words created something in my life that were were powerful. So it's not just death, but life is in the power of our words. Our words are powerful. Now, here's the beauty of this truth. Since your words are so powerful, you should treat it like like they're powerful. And you would be foolish to treat a power that you have like it's just ordinary or something that's not serious. Back in those college days, since we're talking about it, um, I've told stories about my terrible driving, and um, young men are the stupidest people on the planet. If we were from every culture, every walk of life, every religion, young men... 18 to 22 are just the dumbest people that you can imagine. And my friend, he drove even crazier than I did. So I don't know what, it's, what it is, but like I can sleep in a car. Like it doesn't take me a long time to sleep in a car. And my friend was driving us from New York back to college in Baltimore. And um, as soon as we got the car, almost as soon as we hit the highway, I was knocked out. So what I normally did when I, you know, we, we show up in Baltimore, we're pulling up in front of my dorm. And I pulled out my phone, and I went to call my mother and said, hey, we made it. She was like, you made it where? I was like, to Baltimore. She was like, there's no way you made it to Baltimore, because you left two hours ago. <laughs> it's a 200-mile trip. I said, no, not Baltimore. We, we are at the rest stop. We're at Roy Rogers. We're at Roy Rogers. I'm getting a two-piece. Um, And from that day, she never wanted me to drive with that friend anymore because he had something like really powerful, this big, beautiful car that he was driving 100 miles an hour, but he wasn't treating it like it was powerful. He was treating it like it was ordinary. He was treating it like there weren't going to be consequences for his actions. I think so many of us fall into problems 
So many of us live below the standard that God would have us to have for our lives. So many of us don't have a vision for our lives because we don't realize the power that we hold. There is a power in our words. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So it makes sense that when scripture writers talk to Christians in community, that one of the things that they want to regulate are not just their beliefs, the things that they believe about God, but also the things that they say. That Christians specifically should be people marked by a maturity of our words, realizing the power that they have and using our words in the best way possible. So we've been in the book of James, and James is a profoundly powerful and practical book. James is not interested in teaching you about the high priest Melchizedek. James is interested in teaching you, if you want to follow Jesus, this is what your life should look like. And James has a lot to say about our words. So James says in chapter 3, verses 2, he says this, For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. So what James is basically saying is this, if you can control your mouth, if you can control your words, then you're perfect. And not perfect in the sinless way, but perfect in the sense that you are emotionally and spiritually mature. But you and I have to learn how to tame our tongue. Uh, You and I have to learn how to control the words that we speak. Now, James gives us an introduction, a primer, some lessons on why it is so, so, so crucial to pay attention to the words that we speak. And I would say, by extension, the words that we type. The first is one of the scariest is this, that your words, my words, direct where I go. You are not directed by your feelings. You are not directed by your aspirations. You are not directed by your hopes or your dreams for your life. You are being directed right now by your words. Here's what James says in verse... Verses 3 through 5. He says, Now if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies and consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds. They are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. So James basically says, your words have a tremendous influence over the direction and the control of your life. Where are you going in your life right now? Where do you hope to be in in 10 years? James says, if you want to answer those questions well, you need to pay attention to the words that are coming out of your mouth. When I was in college, one of my friends, um, I had a lot of friends from a lot of different walks of life, and One of the most peculiar professions that I've ever heard of uh, was one of my friend's father was a jockey for horses, and she would always talk about how much he would have to keep his weight down because, you know, that certainly impacted how fast the horse could run with him him on on the horse's back. And it was so fascinating to have these small men always worried about their weight to keep their weight down, able to control these animals which are just majestic. They weigh thousands of pounds. And what James would say is, that horse is directed by a small bit in its mouth. You can steer an animal that weighs thousands of pounds with this one little small thing. The same thing is true with the ship. He says, there are ships that are large, they're huge, 
and they are guided by fierce winds. And he said, with all of this, this huge boat and these fierce winds, the thing that controls it is a little small rudder. So what James is saying is, consider all of the things that are going on in your life, both internally and externally. The rudder for your life right now are your words. Death and life are in the power of our, of our words. So since our words direct where we are going, we need to speak faith over our life. One of the most important things that I want us to do as people is that we would not be feelings-led people, but we would be obedience and disciples-led people, that we would make the decisions that we should make whether or not we feel like doing them. Over the years, we talked about our emotions, and we talk about what it means to be an emotionally and spiritually mature adult. And one of the quotes that I've said a number of times is one that I'll keep repeating is this, your emotions, your feelings, they are like kids on a vacation. You can't put them in the trunk, and you can't put them in the driver's seat. We go somewhere, we went to Long Island yesterday with, my, with, the, with the fam, and it's like an hour and 15 minutes with traffic. We would tell my uh, seven-year-old, he said, how long is left? An hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> Two minutes later, how long we got left? An hour and 15 minutes. And he will ask every 30 seconds, and it would be easier if we just threw him in the trunk and was like, all right, listen, we'll get you. You can breathe. It's not that hot. We'll give you a fan or something like that. You would call CPS if we put him in the trunk because you know it's not helpful. In the same way, if I say, you know what? I'm tired of you complaining. You get in the driver's seat. You drive. Again, you would call CPS for endangering the welfare of a child and his parents. Our emotions are the same way. You should never put them in the driver's seat to direct your life. They can't be trusted that way. At the same time, you can't ignore them, and you can't put them, and you shouldn't put them in the trunk. So we would do very well in moments when you're feeling fearful, afraid, disregarded, whatever the emotion that you're feeling, that you would direct your life with God's words, God's truth over your life. If you are fearful over the provision that God is going to make in your life, will God provide for you? Romans 8 and 32 says this. I would speak this over my life if I were you. He did not spare his own son for me, but he gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? Many of us are discouraged about our progress or our lack of progress in our walk with Jesus. Oftentimes I think about myself, the inconsistencies that I have. Uh, I thought that over time I would just want to follow God more than sometimes I, I, I do. And sometimes I'm discouraged. I feel like my prayer life should be deeper and more profound than it is. And when I'm discouraged about my prayer life, I think about Philippians 1 and 6. And if you're discouraged about your walk with God, here's what Paul says. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's not about your progress, your consistency. It's about his consistency and his faithfulness over your life. Many times I wonder if God even hears my prayers. Psalm 145 and 18 says this, the Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with truth. I heard a theologian one time say that God is closer to you in this very moment than the air that we are breathing. And prayer is a recognition and the acknowledgement that God is close to us. And if you're struggling to believe that God is close to you, repeat that prayer. Repeat this psalm over your life. Speak faith over your life in this way. Uh, oftentimes, this is a big one in church. I've probably had this conversation a hundred times as a pastor. For those of us in this room who struggle to feel forgiveness, 
1 John 1.9 says this, if we confess our sins, if you do the work of confessing your sins, here's the good news. He is faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sins and not just stop there, and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you're going through difficult times, Nahum 1 and 7 says this, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. He cares for those who trust him. Now, I could have spent, I can spend the next 30 minutes going through a list of God's promises. And this is different than the 1990s version of name it and claim it. You say anything, you're going to have it. This is speaking God's truths over your life, to direct your life to a point of faithfulness, to direct your life towards trusting God, to direct your life towards maturity, even if you don't feel like it. There are power in your words, especially when we speak God's words over our life. Now, here's what I want you to do. I can't be trusted to monitor and to oversee Jordan. Jordan needs other people who I'm close to around me that can speak into my life and it can stop me mid-sentence when I'm talking crazy to myself and about myself. We were hanging out with our dear friends Heather and Aswan one time, and um, Aswan was talking about um, how terrible his fantasy basketball team was, and I was like, yeah, that's true, they are. They are bad. <laughs> now, he was talking about something a little more serious, and I'll never forget, Heather said, don't talk about my friend like that. And I just thought that was such a beautiful way to redirect the conversation away from negative self-talk towards empowerment. And we need people in our life that are going to stop us, that we give permission. Say, listen, if you hear me talking crazy about myself and putting myself down, I need you to stop me because I can't be trusted with me. And I know my words are powerful. And I, wanna, I, don't want, I want to speak God's truth over my life, not my negative self-emotion and my negative self-talk over my life. So the second thing that James tells us, number one, our words direct our life. And we really need to pay very close attention to the words that we're saying. Number two, our equally scary um, truth is that my words can destroy what I have. James gives uh, another illustration about the destructive nature of our words. He says, consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. Back in the 90s, they used to play these commercials a lot, the Smokey the Bear commercials, and only you can prevent forest fires, right? <laughs> And the truth was simple but true and profound, that there were people who would go out for a cookout and they would roast some marshmallows, have a good time, and the wind would carry a small ember, a small spark. And before you know it, that small spark that was being used to heat up Hershey chocolate and marshmallows over some graham crackers could result in the destruction of thousands and thousands of acres. And here's the thing about a fire, a forest fire. It only takes a little bit of a spark to start it, and then it takes enormous resources to put it out. Fire crews and helicopters, um, it, it takes so much time and energy. And James says this, that our words can do that very thing. Now, I don't have to tell you to think too hard about an example of a time where you have created a fire with your words that, that you couldn't put out. And it doesn't matter how sorry you were about it. It doesn't matter your intention behind the words. What matters is you were a little too loose with your words. And then it started a fire. So James gives us a, a, a remedy of what we need to do uh, about that. He says this in verse 7 
in, in 8. He says, Every kind of animal, bird and reptile and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So what James is basically saying is that of all the animals that we have tamed, no man can tame the tongue, humanly speaking. He says it is restless. On Friday, uh, my family and I went to uh, Coney Island. Oh, actually, no, no family. We left the kids. We lied to my seven-year-old and told him we were going to an adult-only place. And then we went to Coney Island with just ourselves. <laughs> Death and life are in the power of the tongue. I have to... And while we were on the boardwalk, after we rode the cyclone, had a great time. But while we were on the boardwalk, there were these dudes outside with these huge snakes. And I was like, there's no way in the world. People were like taking pictures with the snakes around their necks. And I was like, there's no amount of likes on Instagram that's going to get me <laughs> to put a boa constrictor around my neck. This is what they do. They constrict. They specialize <laughs> in constricting you. And I'm going to put it on my neck. Reptiles have always freaked me out because they don't have emotion. They're not like, they're not labradoodles. They, there's no appeal to any mammalian instinct of love, of tenderness, of thought, of judgment. They're hungry and then they act, they decide. They cannot be tamed. And it doesn't matter how calm it looks on the floor, it can always revert to its animal instinct. So you would be crazy to treat a snake like it's a Rottweiler, like it's man's best friend, like it's loyal to you. It is not loyal to you. At best, it's just not hungry right now. <laughs> when James says that nobody can tame the tongue, he says you should never let your guard down around your words. There should never be a moment where you feel like it's safe. You have to live with it. You have to live with our words because we are, by nature, people who communicate and speak. But we need to always consider that it could break loose at any given point. So we would be crazy to treat our words as if they were tamed or as if we don't need to pay a special attention to what we are doing. So James, when he says that, nothing, um, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. He wants us to have sober judgment about the power of our words and to always treat our words with thought and with um, intention. Now, a couple times a year this happens where somebody sends a spicy email, and I'm like, okay, this is what we're doing? This is what we're doing? Okay, great. Nobody at Renaissance, of course. Um, and I, sometimes I'll just be so mad, and I'll give myself permission to write the first draft of that email, and then I close the computer, and then I walk away. Because I know that when I'm angry or when I'm upset or when I'm feeling disrespected, I might add some stuff in there that did not need it to be added in there in the first place. I need to treat my words as if they are powerful and as if they are not tamed. So giving myself space between me and my words is always a good idea. Even with my kids, one of the things my therapist told me to do is you need to take a time out from your children. There's sometimes when my seven-year-old does or says something, and I'll look at him like, yo, if I said that to my father, I would not exist. Like, I would be <laughs> off the planet. It would not, I would no longer be alive if I said that to my father. So instead of responding with anger, I just say, you know what? Daddy needs a timeout, and I just leave. I just walk away. And I come back five minutes later because there are times where I didn't do that. And what came out of my mouth was a venom 
It was destructive. It wasn't helping anybody. It certainly wasn't helping him. And I saw the destruction in his face. So here's what James wants you to do. Your words can destroy what you have. You need to create guardrails to make sure that you are not using your words, the power of your words, inappropriately. So number one, our words direct where we go. Number two, our words can destroy what we have. And number three, my words show me who I am. Now, this is a very sober judgment. Here's what James says. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out, come out from the same mouth. My brothers and my sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water uh, spring, uh, neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. I have a, a brown thumb, and I'm not good at gardening or plants or anything, but I do know enough about um, plants, plant life that you will like never plant an apple tree and get oranges. Like it just doesn't, it reproduces after its own kind. You can't plant a fig tree and expect grapes. Like it just doesn't work that way. And James is suggesting and hinting to us that the words that are coming out of our mouth are revealing to us a deeper and more real issue than what might appear at first glance. Jesus says it very bluntly in Matthew 12 and 34. He says, for the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. That the words that you and I speak, they're not random. It's not because someone else pushed you and made you upset. These things are coming from within us. If you and I have a problem with our words, then it's a much more serious problem than we think about. It's a heart problem. And our words are giving us a they are a diagnostic tool to what is going on in our hearts. A person with a harsh tongue has an angry heart. A person with a negative tongue has a fearful heart. A person with an overactive tongue has an unsettled heart. A person who boasts has an insecure heart. A person with a filthy tongue has an impure heart. A person who is critical all the time has a bitter heart. So what you and I need to do is first and foremost be very aware that this is showing us something about our lives and we need to take that, those clues from our words and bring those to God and ask God to create in us a new heart, a heart that follows after him. But I want us to do, to do three things. Like I said, James is a book profoundly interested in how people live, not what they think, not what they agree with, not what they believe at a, at a meta level, but what they are doing on a day-to-day -day basis. So there's three things I want you to do to really be people who steward the power of our words better. Number one, we have to continue to preach the gospel to ourselves. We will never be the people that can speak with a gracious heart unless we have grace flowing from the inside of us. You know what, a lot of times I think about the greatest form of spiritual warfare is not you seeing some devil storming into your bedroom at three o'clock in the morning. The greatest form of spiritual warfare against most of us today is just an apathy. It's just like, eh, I'm not really excited to do that. So when we think about what it means to give ourselves daily to, to the practice of reading scripture, we're like, ah, just, just not that exciting. My wife and I were talking about it this week that there's so many times where I'm just like, I'm just, uh, I mean, I can take it or I can leave it. I, I don't, I'm not aware of what it's doing in my life actively, so I'm not constantly giving myself to the power of Scripture to shape me 
to mold me, the power of God to speak into my life. One of the things I hope for as a dad uh, is that right now my kids are at an age where they have to listen to me. And I was talking to a, a parent whose kids are much older, and they were schooling me and saying that really their goal is that their kids would come back to them and listen to them even when they don't have to anymore. And I got the heart of a father from that conversation, that God's heart is to shape us, that we would come to him, we would seek after him for his guidance, for his love, for the definitions of what we, how we should live our life. And God is inviting us into the means of grace of Scripture to pour over our hearts because we do not live by bread alone, but by every single word that comes out of the mouth of God. So consider that a kickstart into Scripture reading. And if you don't know where to start, please read alongside of us with the book of James. Let that wash over you over and over again. Number one, we need to give ourselves to Scripture. Number two, I think I want Christians at Renaissance to be known for being people who know how to apologize and people who know how to affirm those who are closest to us in our lives. So what is an apology? The words, the fires that you have started with your words, don't just leave them burning and be like, oh, oh well, it's burning. The fire extinguisher for many of the harmful effects of our words, although we cannot always repair everything, we can stop the fire from, ha- from continuing and burning out through a real, thorough apology. Now, an apology is not rooted in what they did. An apology requires, first and foremost, empathy. It requires you to hear, you to listen to them, you to understand how your specific actions hurt them or harm the relationship specifically. And then you offer an unequivocal statement of apology for the thing that you did. Now, sometimes in your apology, they will follow up with owning what they have done as well. But that is not the purpose of an apology. The purpose of an apology is to own your part in the dysfunction, your part in what you have done, and to offer it unequivocally. Now, I can think about a couple of reasons why I don't like to give apologies. And as I was writing this message today, I thought of a situation that I was like, man, I I really do actually need to apologize uh, to this brother for for saying some things. And I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to apologize because I don't want him thinking he's right. But my part, I know what I did. I know I had a part of the wrong. And an apology, if you're really like free by the gospel that you're standing with God, your, your life is not based on what you have done or how well you have done, and you don't have to constantly be better than other people, then you could offer an apology and be wrong. And that's just it. I was wrong about this thing. So this week, I want you to take the countercultural step to apologize, to take out your fire extinguisher and to apologize to someone, enter into their world, make an unequivocal apology for what you have done, and then ask them for their forgiveness. If they respond with a similar statement, praise God. If not, you have done your job. And I think Christians need to be more and more marked by repentance. We don't have to be right all the time. We can apologize and still be loved by God at the same time. And in doing so, we're going to repair a whole lot of broken relationships. Uh, the last thing I want us to do is to be a people marked by affirmation. Now, affirmation is something so peculiar to our culture that the, the best way I know how to explain it is by saying kind of what it's not. It's not an appreciation. An appreciation is, hey, thank you so much for holding the door. Thank you so much for serving today. Uh, that's a, an appreciation. An affirmation is being a truth teller in someone's life about the goodness, 
the imago Dei, the image of God, the beauty that you see in their life, and calling out the truth of the beauty, the goodness of what you see in their life, specifically and out loud to them directly. One of the things that I think is um, really a lie that we need to get over is that if you give someone an affirmation, they're going to get a big head. They're not going to get a big head. We are starved for people to speak truth into our lives about the goodness, the God that is inside of us. And if you are committed to being a truth teller, then you would also not just catch people doing wrong, but you would speak truth. You would speak beauty. You would speak um, what you see in them. You're not lying. You're not making up stuff. You are affirming the goodness and the beauty that you already see in their, their lives. And here's why you need to apologize. And here's why you need to be a person of affirmation. Because death and life are in the power of the tongue. I'm going to leave us with a scripture from uh, Ephesians 4 and 29. Paul says this, No foul language should come from your mouth, but here's what you should, come, should come from your mouth. Only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. The Christian standard for communication is not just truthfulness, what's true or what's not true. The Christian standard for communication is helpfulness. Is it helpful for me to say this? In the case of a fractured relationship, is it helpful for you to apologize? Absolutely. In dealing with our brothers and sisters and those people we, that are, who are close to us, is it helpful to offer them an affirmation? Absolutely. So this week, I'm not asking you to go to Chipotle and give someone an affirmation who's like, man, the way you scoop those black beans, that was, you are a, a diligent scooper of the beans. But the people in your life, the people you say you love, so often we don't speak the, the affirmations over their life until they're gone and no longer allowed to hear our words. And I think for us to create something beautiful, to be something different, to be this countercultural community of love and grace, we need to get this down. So, God, our Father, I'm so grateful for the opportunity that we have to use the power of our words wisely, to use it for your good, for your purpose. Lord, I pray for conviction for us to guard our, our words with being uh, sober and to be aware of their power. And Lord, I pray that we would be able to give grace and benefit and build someone up this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.